and then over in the 22nd chapter, a few verses, it says, this is beginning in verse 10. It says, A lay person shall not eat of the holy things, no foreign guest of the priest nor hired servant shall eat of the holy things. But if a priest buys a slave as his property for money, the slave may eat of it, and anyone born in his house may eat of his food. If the priest's daughter marries a layman, she shall not eat of the uh, contribution of the holy thing. But if a priest's daughter is, a, is widowed or divorced and has no child and returns to her father's house as in her youth, she may eat of the father's food, yet no lay person shall eat of it. Um, just briefly to say about that passage, uh, it basically says that you have to be absolutely perfect to go before the throne of God. And in that, how could any of the Levites go before Aaron or or Aaron or any of his sons or anybody actually, how could any one of them go before the throne of God and offer sacrifices for the people of Israel when they when none of us are perfect? You know, uh, uh, in any way, uh, uh, I mean, I, I know I couldn't go. I, I have very long arms. I, I, when I go, when I go buy a, a suit, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a 44 regular, but my arms are 35 inches long. Believe it or not, I, I can scratch my knee without bending over. You know, <laughs> you know. And so, it's, it, 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 in Scripture, it says that if if our if our an Israelite of the tribe of Levi, I wouldn't be able to offer sacrifices for the people of Levi because my arms are too long. Simple things like that. And uh, it's, it simply says, it, it emphasizes the fact more that we have a perfect high priest in Jesus Christ. And notice this text. It says, if you have any of these blemishes or anything, you can't offer but you can still eat. Amen. You can still eat. So we're grateful to God that we have a perfect high priest who has entered into that heavenly tabernacle to offer sacrifices for our sin once for all that we all unperfect people may eat of the bread of life. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for the day. We thank you for your word, Lord, and we thank you for this body of saints gathered here, Lord, to hear the preaching of your gospel. Father, we ask that you bless us in this hour of worship and praise to you and that you bless Brother James, Lord, with a, a good word for your people. Open up his mind, Lord, pour your spirit into him that he may pour out to us what you've given to him to give to us. And may we leave here, Father, saying what a great and glorious God we serve and give you all the glory and praise, for you are indeed worthy. Father, we ask that you grow this fellowship. Give more, send more people here, Lord, to, to hear the gospel preached, who, who, who will come to appreciate the doctrines of your free and sovereign grace, Lord. We thank you. Bless this home. Bless the family. Bless every family represented here, Lord. I pray your blessings on the, all of us who are traveling, that you give us safe passage, and wherever we're going, Lord. We thank you and bless us, and we're careful to give you the praise for you are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
that this would be our first sermon, although we have a lot of sermons. We have a lot of sermons uh, that I preached on the book of Galatians, a wonderful, excellent book. Since we started meeting here, this would be our third sermon of those that have been recorded. The first sermon was not recorded. But as we journey as a church, I thought that it would be helpful for myself and for you to understand what this is all about. This is not just some social organization. These are spiritual matters. If I don't have understanding of what this work is about, then I can't benefit you. I can only give what the Lord has put in me. And the Lord has been putting things in me for a while now by gathering me around men like Elder Johnson, Elder McClarty, and all the wonderful men that you get to know in the course of time. It's very important for us as a church to have an understanding of what the work of pastoring is about, what the work of the church is about, and whose church it is. The church does not belong to any man. It belongs to the great shepherd of the sheep, the one who purchased it with his blood. And yet there is an assumption by many people who rise to become pastors of the flock, that the flock belongs to them, and that the flock is there for their own use. And if we are go, going to start on a sure foundation, we can't build any other foundation than, which, than that which God has already built, which is Christ. And praise the Lord for the hymns. They speak to what the Lord has given me to share with you this morning. And the title of my message, which I really have titles, I'm trying to learn to have titles. The pastor, the sheep, and the gospel. The pastor, the sheep, and the gospel. And we're going to develop our teaching from a passage that you probably not associate with the pastoral call. But it is central, it is the heart of the pastoral call. And it begins somewhere in Luke 22, verse 34, sorry, verse, verses 31 to 34. Luke 22, verses 31 to 34, and we're going to do a lot of reading. This is Berean Sovereign Grace Church. We read the Bible. We open the Bible and hear what says the Lord. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. 
but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And he said, I said to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. Luke 22, verses 54 to 62. Having arrested him, that's Jesus, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. After they kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And a seven girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, This man was with him too. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, another saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. After about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Suddenly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, Before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter, this is the background of the Lord seeing the cross, getting ready to go on the cross. Peter has denied his Lord three times. And particularly, he has made this statement. That, Lord, with you I'm ready to go both to prison and to death. There was a lot of confidence in Peter. There was a lot of fleshly confidence in Peter. He did not realize how much expensive it is to follow Jesus. Peter said much more than he was able to do. So Jesus goes ahead and he is crucified. And Peter is left to himself as Peter. He hasn't had an opportunity to go and say, I'm sorry, or ask for forgiveness. Peter is in serious trouble because the Lord has been put on the cross and has died. And there's no other way that Peter can go and talk to the Lord. If there's any hope for Peter, the Lord himself has come to Peter. But the Lord has died. The Lord cannot come back to Peter. And Peter is in trouble. He has denied his master. I want to build on that so that we have an understanding that the Lord may give us clarity on the nature of this work. Elder McClarty, on my ordination, he had one important message, and he said, you have done all these things by yourself, James, but this work 
is not your work. This is God's work. Take it seriously. As I build the background, I build the background with the background of what is happening in the church. What is happening in the church, wherever the church is named, whether it's in America, whether it's in Africa, whether it's in Europe or South America, the church has some serious issues. And the serious issue, number one, is that it is veered away from Christ. The church has veered away from Christ. And the Lord had already spoken about these matters right from his Old Testament prophets. So we're going to read Ezekiel 34, and then we'll tie this with the background that I just gave on Peter and his denial of the Lord. And hear what the Lord has to say about those things. So go to Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel 34, verses 1 to 10. Ezekiel 34, verses 1 to 10. I'm reading from the NASB. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, War shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened. The diseased you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up. The scattered you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and with severity you have dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. And they became food for, the, for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered all over the surface of the earth, and there was no one to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord, surely because my flock has become a prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd. And my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds. And I will demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore, but I will deliver my flock from their mouth so that there will not be food for them. Listen to the charges. These are serious charges coming from the mouth of the Lord. There are two particular charges that are there that I want to highlight that you may see them. The Lord says, the shepherds of Israel, they are eating, they eat the fat and clothe themselves with the wool from the sheep. And they slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Number two charge, they have not strengthened the sickly among them. The diseased have not been healed. The broken have not been bound up. And the scattered you have not brought back. Or, nor have you sought for the lost, 
but with force and with severity, you have dominated them. And there is a result that has become of God's flock because of that. And the Lord says, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd. Now, the Lord here is not talking about sheep with four legs. He is talking about his people, Israel. And his concern for his people, Israel, is the same concern that he has for his people, the church. He's talking exactly and saying the same thing. There are many who call themselves or are called men of God. They are bishops, they are reverends, they are archbishops. They've had all kinds of ordinations. But you will never hear from their mouth anything that speaks of Christ. They carry the name of Christ for the convenience that it brings them, but they will not share Christ. They will not declare the gospel. The gospel is a set of message that cannot be played with. The gospel is a set of message that cannot be played with so much that Apostle Paul in Galatians would say, if any man would come and preach any other gospel than the one that I declare to you, let them be banned for God's glory. There are no gospels. There's only one gospel. The Corinthian church had the most trouble, had the most problems of any church that's recorded. But the Lord never used the strongest of words to condemn them. He never did. There was a man in the Corinthian church who was sleeping with his stepmother. But the Lord never had harsh words for him than he had the Galatian church who were preaching a false gospel. So the issue, the concern of the pastor is to bring the gospel, is to share the gospel for God's people. That they may hear what the chief shepherd is saying. So I'm only to be listened to as much as I share what the scriptures say. If I go beyond what the scriptures say, then I have to be rejected for that reason, and rightly so. So what is happening in the church is that there is an assumed knowledge of the gospel. There's an assumed knowledge of the gospel by the so-called men of God, and there's assumed knowledge of the gospel by those who attend the church. So much that the gospel has become an inconvenience, rather men have developed other things to do in the church. Money changes. The church, the face of the church, is now being seen, especially this side of the world, as just money changes. Even the heathens saw, see that. There's something wrong with the church. So the church cannot be for serving the interests of any man who can speak well. It cannot be there for the serving of interests of any man who can speak well. 
So with this background, the Lord Jesus Christ would come in John 10, 11 and say, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And he is making a distinction. He is making a distinction from all the other would-be shepherds who have been fleecing God's sheep. Christ is the good shepherd. Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the one who owns the church. 100% shareholding and he's not selling any shares. John 21 verses 15 to 17. Jesus Christ shows up This is after the resurrection. And he connects us to what we just read from Luke 22. It's a continuation of the story. Jesus shows up after the resurrection. And he met with seven of the disciples. And they had been on the Sea of Galilee fishing. And after they'd been done eating breakfast. This is the conversation that the Holy Spirit had recorded for us. John 21 verses 15 to 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. Verse 16. And Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Simon said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. Verse 17. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. If you go and read this statement with the English translation as is, you miss about maybe 80% of what is being said. Because the word love is used every, in every verse twice. Jesus comes and he asks Simon Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And the conversation goes, Threefold question and answer. Do you love me? You know I love you. Do you love me? You know I love you. And you would think that they are saying the same thing. They are not saying the same thing. There are two words that are being used there that are different. And the Holy Spirit purposes for us to understand that. And if I would or anyone else who has interest in preaching the gospel would understand what that conversation was all about. Simon Peter only uses one Greek word for love, phileo. Jesus uses both words, but the first two times he uses agapao, and that's very purposeful. So Jesus comes and says to Simon Peter, Simon Peter, do you agapao me? And Peter doesn't say, Lord, you know that I agapao you. Peter says, I phileo you. 
And there's a difference. Agapao is agape. That's the sacrificial kind of love. Is the sacrificial kind of love that only the ship, chief shepherd has that he would give his own life for the ship. And only that kind of love can be exercised by God himself. Simon Peter uses phileo in all his three responses. And phileo is the brotherly, sisterly love. This is love at our own level. So the Holy Spirit wants us to understand in this conversation, this was a serious conversation. If someone would come to you and they are asking three times the same question, that would get you in trouble. That's a very serious conversation. And Jesus doesn't really qualify a lot of things there. He just continues to keep pounding on him and asking him, do you agapao me? No, Lord, you know that I phileo you. So what is that saying? Peter realizes what the Lord is saying. The background is what Peter said before the crucifixion. Peter has said, Lord, I am ready to go to both prison and death with you. Did Peter go to prison and death with Christ? No, he denied Christ. He denied Christ not one time, not two times, but three times. So when the Lord comes, he repeats the same thing. He asks Peter three times. Three is also a number of completion in the Bible. So he comes and he says, Peter, let me find where you are now with that sacrificial kind of love that you talked about. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than all these other disciples? Because you are the one who said, Lord, I am ready. I am ready. I have my sword and I've already cut one of those servants' ears off. I'm so ready to go with you. And Christ says, Peter, you don't know what you're talking about. Let me teach you something. Do you agape me? Peter says, no, Lord, I phileo you. I phileo you. I phileo you. And as you go down the conversation, Jesus says, the third question, Jesus does not use agapao. He uses phileo. So Jesus says, I have to come to your level. I have to come. If you and I have to have anything between us, I have to come to your level. And even at that level, do you love as thou me, Simon Peter? And Simon Peter realizes now after the cross, the Christ has resurrected. And he realizes what Christ is saying. And he could not stand to go beyond, oh Lord, you know that I love you in a sacrificial way. He is saying, Lord, you know, I can't love you as to die for you as you have done for me. Only you love me enough to die for me. But that's not the only thing there. There's also the commands that the Lord gives to Peter. The Lord gives three commands with every question. Simon, Peter, do you love as thou me? Feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. 
do you hear the instruction? The instruction is, if you love me, Simon Peter, this is the correlation, this is how you can connect your love to me by what you do, you have concern for my ship. That's the only work that I have given you as a sign that you and I are working together. We have the same interest. We have the chief interest. Feed my lambs. But he also uses two different Greek words. The first one is going to be the feed my ship. And in the second command, he uses the term that means to tend. Tend. Shepherd. Shepherd. Go out into the pasture and find the best pasture for my sheep and feed them. So, as a pastor, the chief interest has to feed the sheep. But there's more. There's more. Jesus says he identifies part of his flock as having both the lambs and the mature sheep. So he says, feed my lambs. What are the lambs? They are baby sheep. They are babies in the faith of Christ. They are the vulnerable and weak in the faith of Christ. And Christ says, they are my sheep. He didn't say, feed the sheep. He says, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. They belong to me. They are mine. Feed. Have concern. Shepherd the flock of God. So Christ says, this is the concern of any under-shepherd. The concern of the under-shepherd has to be the concern of the sheep, of the chief shepherd. Wherever there is a disconnect between the concerns and interests of the under-shepherd, we have a different kind of church. And this, the Lord will show up in the book of Revelation and says, the synagogue of Satan. They had every semblance of having church. They had everything. They had the gatherings. They were having the collections. They were doing everything. They were having communion. But the Lord shows up and says, that's not my church. That's the synagogue of the devil. And the only way, the only way, and this is for my interest as it is for yours too, that you may be able to discern, that you may be able to discern that the person who is standing in front of you has your interest. You have to be able to discern that the person... I used to think that anybody who had a Bible was a Christian. For a long time. I thought anybody who had a Bible believed what the Bible said. Until I started studying and learning and realized that, oh, actually there are very few people who believe the Bible. The remnant. (laughs) But listen to what the Lord Jesus Christ says about this. Because he has been teaching and he has taught it because that's his chief interest. That's the main reason that he came to become like one of us that he may die. And he wasn't dying for himself. He was dying for his ship. 
So listen to what he says in Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verses 44 to 51. The Lord Jesus Christ here is talking about his return. He is talking about his return. And hear what he says. Therefore, verse 44, 44. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Verse 47. Truly I said to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? That's the question. And as Christ puts his second return in the picture, he only has one concern. His concern is, who is that wise and faithful servant? Who is that wise, and look at the descriptors, is wise and faithful. Who is that wise and faithful servant? And look at how that is qualified by him. The wisdom is in this. To give them their food at the proper time. Christ here sees himself as the master. He sees himself as having put over his household servants who are supposed to do his work. And he says there are going to be two kinds of servants here. The wicked servant and the wise and faithful. And both of them have been put over the household by the sovereign master. So sometimes you wonder, why are we still having all these churches that do not preach the gospel and they're still collecting a lot of money? How do they do it? How are they still churches? It's because the sovereign master has put them there. The sovereign master has put them there. But he makes a distinction and says, there are going to be two kinds of servants I have the wise and faithful ones who take care of my flock and these feed my sheep and give them their food at the proper time. And look at the difference between the wise and faithful servant and the wicked servant. The wicked servant does what? The wicked servant says, my master is delayed. So we have all the freedom to do whatever we want. That is, even if they believe that Christ is the master. Because I'm thinking, they're thinking they are the master. And these are my people. These are my sheep. And like one preacher has said, what are the sheep for if they are not for fleecing? So, for a lot of people who are calling themselves preachers, when they look at the people of God coming to their church, they are not looking to them as people who need spiritual help. They're looking straight into their pockets. They're thinking, how can I have a sermon that will have this person give me everything that they have? 
And when they have given me everything that they have, I'm just going to tag the name of Christ at the end of it so that they feel good about it. The Lord says, that's a wicked servant. That's a wicked servant. He is failing to feed the people of God with their right food. Right food. And the Greek word that's translated food there, literally or figuratively, is nourishment. It's nourishment. The wicked servant has failed to give God's people the nourishment so that they do not suffer from malnutrition. Because there's so much malnutrition in the church. There is a lot of kwashioka in the church. Spiritual kwashioka. Standard growth. And if you would see spiritually and you knew the symptoms of kwashioka, like a bloated belly, standard growth, you see all that in a lot of people who are Christians. And the reason why people have not grown and are not growing is because, number one, they have allowed themselves to sit under a wicked servant. They have allowed themselves to sit for a long time under a wicked servant. And the wicked servant has no interest in them other than getting to their wallet. So you hear, this is one of the signs. When a man stands in front of the people and they profess to preach the gospel and their concern is just to collect money, then they have not been called to preach the gospel. The gospel at the end of the day does not need money. The, the gospel is a spiritual work. It needs the words of Christ. It needs the work of the spirit. The work is done internally. It's not an external work. The gospel is not in a big building. The gospel is not in a big name ministry whatsoever. It's not about building edifices to ourselves. The gospel is God's project from eternity. It's God's work. We need to be able to discern the gospel. We need to be able to discern what people are saying about Christ. The gospel is about Jesus Christ. So the concern of the master's servant is over the affairs of the master. So if I was a servant to anybody, my concern is to make sure that I fetch water. I make sure that everything, the bills are paid. I make everything that the master has tasked me to do to make sure that everything is done in its proper time. So the concern of any under-shepherd then is to understand what this business is all about. How does the work of the Holy Spirit in the church work to make people be conformed to Christ, to bring people to Christ himself? Because by the work of the gospel, God is calling his people to himself. God is calling people to himself. So, what is the nature of the food? What is the nature of the food? A lot of people would think maybe if we do some good works, we build some schools, we feed the hungry, we do all those wonderful things. Anybody can do that. Actually, Oprah can do that more than anybody. But Oprah doesn't preach the gospel. Oprah does not believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all the men who are surrounding themselves 
who call themselves men of God, who are surrounding themselves with a celebrity and thinking that they are advancing the cause of Christ. They are not. The gospel is much more than what we do. It is, at the end of the day, nothing to do with what we do. The gospel has everything to do with Christ himself and what he has done to redeem his people. And this message, when it's faithfully preached, you can never hear enough of the gospel where the gospel is being preached. That's one thing that I've learned. We go to the conference. We are sitting there from 9 in the morning until 10 p.m., maybe 11, 12 midnight, and we come back again and come back again. And by the time that we leave, nobody wants to go home because the gospel was being preached. So, what is the nature of the food? Hear what the Lord said to the children of Israel. He said, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and died. Your father ate the manna in the wilderness and they died because the gospel is not about physical things. It's not about physical nutrition. It's about spiritual nutrition. And hear what Jesus says in John 6, 63. He says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit who gives life. It is the spirit who gives life and the flesh profits nothing. And that's an accounting term. It's profit. Jesus was an accountant. He's an accountant. He's making a, an accounting teaching here. The flesh profits nothing, but the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. The words that I speak to you, the words of Christ, the words of the Holy Spirit, those are what profits you. Those are the words that profit you. And then, so then, to feed the sheep of God is to preach Christ. To feed the sheep of Christ is to feed them Christ and his gospel. It is to disciple his flock after the gospel. It is to always be pointing them to Christ as their only hope. Only to Christ all the time until Christ comes. And when he comes, you shall always be looking at Christ again. And it is to build them in their understanding until we come to a unity and maturity of the faith. Remember what the Lord said. He begins with, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs that they may grow to become sheep. Feed my lambs that they may grow. And this is how they grow. They grow by the feeding of what I have given you. You have to feed them myself. You have to feed them Christ himself. He is the only food that can grow anybody. What then is to preach Christ? What then is to preach Christ? We are to preach Christ as the good news from God. The good news of the gospel is not just a message. The good news of the gospel is only because of the person. It's 
because of the person of Jesus Christ. And there's something special about the person of Jesus Christ and the work that he did. So there's a person and the work. So the person is very important for an understanding of the gospel. It's very, very, very important because if you remove the nature of the person of Christ as God the Son, not the Son of God, as God the Son. The reason why I say God the Son is people play with Son of God and say like, Tawanda is my son. Christ is more than the Son of God in the way that people think. He is the Trinitarian Son of God. He has existed with God from eternity to eternity. Christ is God who has taken up human flesh for the purpose of redemption. It's for the purpose of removing our sin because we ourselves could not remove our sin. Christ has to do it. Christ has to do it. God has to do it. But God cannot die because he's God. Elder Johnson read from Leviticus 22. Very beautiful teaching from Leviticus 22. You had the qualifications of anyone who was to be a priest. They should not have had any broken limb. Any blemish. Any blemish whatsoever made them unfit to become a priest. And by that teaching, the Lord was saying, amongst the children of men born of a woman, there's none who is fit to be a priest. And as I've been teaching that, the problem that you have from now and all of eternity is that you need a mediator. You need a mediator between you and God, and that's the purpose of a priest. And that priest, God has given himself. He has made himself to be that high priest. He has made Christ to be your intercessor, your mediator. You can't go before God yourself. You die. So we preach Christ as the son of God who is God the son. Yeah. If you talk to Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, ask them, who is Jesus? The son of God. Oh, of course, yeah. We believe Jesus is the Son of God. But then you go and ask them, what do you really mean? Who is really Christ? Is he the Son of God or is he God the Son? They'll say, oh, he's the Son of God, but he's not God the Son. Now we are talking about different things. That's a different gospel. Now, this is very important to affirm because the person of Christ and his nature is important to the work. If Christ is not God in the flesh, then the work is useless. It can't save anyone. Christ has to be God for his work to be able to save you and me and all the millions of people who believe on him. I could not die for myself. I couldn't even die for a mouse. Christ has to die for each and every one person if they are to have life. And you need righteousness. You need righteousness. And you need not just righteousness. You need eternal righteousness. You need an everlasting righteousness. You may be righteous for five minutes. But that's not enough to last you a day. That's not enough to last a week. 
It's not enough to last eternity. So how do you then be in the presence of God with a righteousness which is not an everlasting righteousness? You need the righteousness of Christ because Christ is everlasting. He also will give you a righteousness that is eternal. So then the work of Christ is predicated on the person of Christ. So when Christ goes on the cross and he says, my work is done, it's finished, he says. He really meant that. He really meant that the work that God the Father had given him to do to serve his people had been done. So the gospel call is to all men. God is calling all men, all men on two legs. He's calling on all men on two legs to repent and believe in the gospel. He's calling on all men. And we are being called to receive the benefit of the work of Christ in salvation. We are not coming to finish the work of Christ. The work is finished. We are only being invited to the table of the Lord. The work is done. The work is done. So, the proper gospel message then is, it it has to affirm the nature and person of Christ, and it also has to affirm the work of Christ as having been completed. I can't say completed enough. The work of Christ is a complete work. It's a perfect work. It's accomplished. He has accomplished our salvation. So, anybody who comes to Christ's flock, and teaches them as if this gospel is some work in progress, they have not been called of Christ to preach the gospel. The gospel is only good news only as far as it is complete. Because if the Lord would leave you just to brush your teeth, as the only thing you need to do extra for salvation, I'm telling you, you will not make it. Brushing your teeth between now and death, you will not make it. As simple as that, you will not make it. But this is the beauty of the Lord. He has accomplished our salvation. So how do we receive the work of Christ? How do we receive the work of Christ? The work of Christ is received one way and one way only. By faith. The work of Christ is only received one way and one way alone and is by faith. It's by believing. You believe into righteousness. You believe into life. He who believes in me, said Christ, who has eternal life. You believe. You believe in Christ. And when you believe in Christ, what we are saying is, you are coming to Christ as your only hope, as your only source of salvation. You are coming and saying, nothing in my hands I bring simply to thy cross I cling. You are coming to Christ and saying, you are the cleft of the rock. Let me seek my refuge in you. Let me hide myself in thee. You are abandoning anything whatsoever that you could do that you have done to say, God, accept me. Accept me. Look at me. I am so cool. I am so here in heaven, and heaven will never be the same again. That's not what the Lord is saying. The Lord is saying, you are not fit for heaven. You are not fit for heaven. You are not fit to be in the presence of glory, of holiness and righteousness. 
And if you are going to be able to be in my presence in all of eternity, you have to have the same righteousness as my righteousness. You have, people do not know the standard. The standard of God's righteousness is much higher than you and I could ever conceive. It's not man against man. I could be righteous today better than Brother Robert or Elder Johnson. Maybe tomorrow they will upend me, but not for too long. Not for too long. But men do not know that God requires a righteousness. And the righteousness that God requires cannot be had by men. It has to be given. The righteousness of God has to be given. And that's the beauty of the gospel in that you have not enough time to work a righteousness that you can bring before God. Even if he would give you another 1,000 years and says, let's begin from scratch today. Let's do some righteous works. You'll be condemned before the end of the day. So the righteousness that God requires is the righteousness that he alone can provide. And he has provided. The righteousness of Christ has been provided. And connected to this, to what I said earlier, is the confession of the person of Christ. I think it's, it's, it's important as we get, in, get established as uh, a sovereign grace church, as a church that believes in Christ Jesus, as a small group as we are, we are only a small group, but there's no church that is a bigger savior than us. There's no church that is a bigger Christ than ourselves. We have the same Christ. All right. So we are as big as Christ. That's why we are as bold because we are talking about the same Christ. Jesus Christ says in Matthew 16, 15, this is going to be our confession. I hope that's going to be your confession. But this is my confession. Between now and glory, when I die, this is the confession that I want you to remember. Christ comes to his disciples in Matthew 16, around verses 15, somewhere there. And he says, who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I am? And their response was, it was a united response because one of them spoke on behalf of everybody. They, they had a, a spokesperson, that was Peter. And, and it sounded like the disciples had already had this discussion and they had come to a conclusion. And the conclusion was, this is what men are saying. What are they saying about me? They are saying that you are John the Baptist. And others say, you are Elijah. And yet others say, you are Jeremiah. And yet others say, you are one of the prophets. And Jesus does not even entertain any opinion of what was said. He doesn't develop that to say, oh no, they are mistaken. He doesn't take time. Jesus does not care what men say about him. Jesus does not care men's opinion about himself. He doesn't care about what other people are saying about him. The only thing that he cares is, who do you say that I am? 
Who do you? Now, let's not talk about those guys. Let's bring it down to you. Who do you say that I am? What's your evaluation? Are you thinking prophet? Oh, yeah, he's a prophet. We have made a good evaluation. And Jesus says, it looks righteous. It looks like you got me right, but guess what? No. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's a twofold confession. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to, Christ, uh, to uh, Simon Peter, Blessed are you, Simon, by Jonah. Blessed are you. For flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. What was Christ saying? He was saying, you cannot make this confession if the Father has not revealed me to you. If the Holy Spirit has not revealed Christ to you, you continue to say, oh, Christ was maybe at the same level as the Dalai Lama. I like the guy. Christ was Gandhi. All those are very nice guys. Very good people. Christ, maybe he died. Maybe he resurrected. Maybe. Christ doesn't really care. Christ is not at that level. He is much more. He says, a greater than Jonah is here. And a greater than Solomon is here. Christ is much more than that. At the end of the day, your eternity, your eternity rests on that simple confession. Who do you say Christ is? Nothing else matters. That's the only question that you have to answer. What do you say? Who do you say Jesus Christ is? That's the only question that is to be answered between now and the grave. And when you make the confession that Christ is the Christ, the Messiah, and he is the son of the living God, you have found grace in the sight of the Lord. Because there's no man who can say Christ is the Lord but by the Holy Spirit. So here at Berean Sovereign Grace Church, that's our confession. Our confession is Christ is the Christ, Amen. the Son of the living God. And I pray, and I pray, I pray, I sincerely pray that that will be your confession. That Christ is your Savior, that Christ is Lord. Hear the word of confession, Romans 10. Uh, verse 8 to 11. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, this is the content of your confession, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Everyone who believes in Christ will not be put to shame. So there's shame to be had. There's shame to be had for one who does not believe in Christ. And if Christ has to be believed for the things that he said... And if he says there is shame to be had, it's real big shame. 
is much more shame than we could conceive. It's the shame of torment. It's the shame of being separated from the grace and glory of God from all of eternity without ever having any room or any chance whatsoever to be redeemed from it. What God requires, what require, what God requires of all men from this end of life is to make a confession of Christ. There's only one reason why the Lord woke you up this morning, and it is not to see the kids grow up and get married. It's not for them to go to college. It's not so that I can mow my grass. It's not so that I can go and make the thing that I make in my work. It's only that I may be given the chance to confess Christ. That's the only reason. And when you have confessed Christ, you are so ready to go to eternity. I am ready. You are so ready to go to eternity because eternity has come to you. You are now joined with Christ. You are joined with the life of Christ. Men are ignorant of God's righteousness. That's what we're going to get to a close to an end with. Men are ignorant of God's righteousness. Men are ignorant of God's righteousness. And these are things that we continue to press hard. We continue to press them hard because that's what the gospel is addressing for you. You are ignorant of God's righteousness. You are ignorant of God's righteousness. James 2.10 says, A miss in one point of the law is as good as having missed the whole law. If you miss one point of the law... Just one point of the law in one second, you are guilty of all the law of God. So you can be 99% perfect all your life and be as righteous as anybody can be. But if you miss one point, you are guilty of the whole law. You are guilty. Okay. So men are ignorant of God's righteousness. Yes, Romans 10.3, Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Submitting to the righteousness of God. And he would also say in Romans 3, 23 and 26, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned, not some. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's your problem. And I justified by his grace Justified by his grace, grace as a gift. Justified means this. You have to understand this. To be justified by God means the court of heaven, which is not the angels, God himself, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the court of heaven has declared you, it's a declaration this is the language of court. It's a legal term. The court of heaven has declared you to be as righteous as God himself. The court of heaven has declared you to be as righteous as God himself. Why? Because he has given you his own righteousness. You have been given his righteousness. And this is righteousness that you can't buy. 
Adam could not even give you this kind of righteousness, even if he didn't sin, because that would have been man's righteousness. God requires his own righteousness, and that is what he's giving, and that's why he gives it by faith. And he says here, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So Christ Jesus is the basis. He is the one who gives you the merit, the basis on which you are set free. You are set free. Uh, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. Verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So the basis of your justification before God is going to be either on what God has given in Christ by faith or what you have to bring yourself. And I'll tell you one thing. What you have to bring yourself is not enough to justify you. It's not enough to burn. Because God needs to be burning. You are not even enough to burn. So the Lord, by his grace, actually sends you to hell. It's not enough to burn. So the justification that you need, the righteousness that you need, has to be had by faith in Christ Jesus. And the beauty of that is it doesn't take even one second to have it. It doesn't take two minutes to have it. It doesn't take 100 years to have it. It's just making the confession and believing in Christ and resting on him and saying, I believe in Christ and my justification, my eternal destiny rests in what Christ has done and him and him alone. So, we need to understand the gospel. We need to understand the gospel. There's much more to the gospel. There's much more teaching to the gospel than I have time, even if the Lord will give me strength to 90 years or 100. I could not preach enough Christ. I could not preach enough Christ. I cannot preach Christ. Ultimately, it's only God who can preach Christ. It's God who has been preaching Christ from all of eternity, and he's going to continue to preach Christ. And as I stand here, you make an evaluation of these words. The Holy Spirit has given words in the Bible that we use for understanding. You can tell. Your spirit will agree with me. If I'm saying the things of the Spirit, the Spirit will agree with you that I'm saying the things of God. So you can't just sit there. You can't just be sitting idly and saying, oh, that is the man of God. You have to be active. But at the end of the day, it's for your benefit. It's not for my benefit. It's for your benefit. It's for your benefit that you get engaged in this thing. It's for your benefit that you come engaged with the scriptures. You go read the scriptures. Come ask questions. Check what men are saying. Check what men are saying. Check what I am saying. The sheep that have been given to my care have been given some commands from the Lord himself. This is what he says in Hebrews 13, 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief for that will be unprofitable for you. 
Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. And as we grow, we are going to grow. But the Lord Jesus Christ said, I'll build on this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. So as long as we preach Christ, we shall grow. Because the end has already been determined. He is doing it. All power and authority has been given to me. And he is giving his people life and calling them to himself. But as we move forward, we cannot, we cannot slide to man-centered teaching. We cannot slide to man-centered teaching. It's very attractive. That YMCA teaching, we can't do that. We have to remain fixated on the cross. And if men should come who want something different than what we are doing, we may sing more songs. We may pray more. We may do a whole lot of other things more, but we can't preach Christless. We have to remain centered on Christ. And this is what Apostle Paul would say by the Holy Spirit in 2 Timothy 4, verses 4 to 5. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. The times have arrived. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to what they desire, what they want to hear. What about me? Oh, you're talking too much about God is sovereign. What about me? You, you're a sinner. And you're in trouble. That's what we can talk about, you. Okay? But Christ says, they will accumulate themselves to themselves, teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth. So there's actually a turning away, even after having heard the truth, there's actually room for turning away from the tr- truth and will turn aside to myths because people want to have their ears tickled with new things, relevant programs. What do you have for the kids? What do you have for singles ministry? What do you have for the elderly? We have Christ for all of them. We have only one ministry. is the ministry of teaching the gospel. So to myself and to those who shepherd the flock of God, this is what the Lord says in our closing. First Peter 5, 2 to 4. He says, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not as being lords over those entrusted to you. Listen to the language. They have been entrusted to you. They are not yours. But being examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, the chief shepherd, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. 
And I say to myself, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me and everyone who cares about the gospel. As soon as you profess to preach the true gospel, necessity is already laid upon you. And he says, yes, war is me if I do not preach the gospel. War is me if I do not preach the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God. It is the power of God to salvation. The gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and for the Greek. No exception. No exception. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And that is the power of the gospel. And Jesus says and reminds Jesus says and reminds me, Elder Johnson, and anybody who has been given charge over God's flock. He asks the same question. Then, as he asks today, and as he will ask tomorrow, do you love me more than this? Do you love me more than anything in your life? Do you love me more than these? And he says, feed my lambs. Do you love me more than these? Tend to my sheep. Do you love me more than these? And he says, feed my sheep. And if Berean Sovereign Grace is going to continue to have the light of Christ, the light of Christ is the gospel message. The light of Christ is the gospel message. The moment that I come here, or anybody who shall come here, and they do not bring this message, expand on the message, give more understanding to this message, they, then they do not have the light of Christ. And Christ has not called them to it. That's the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I come before you this morning. Lord, I come... To praise you. I come to give you the glory that is only due you. Not that we add anything to ourselves. We are only acknowledging who you are. We are only acknowledging Christ as Lord. For you have made him Lord and the Christ. We are coming Lord, to participate in the work that you have completed. The race has been ran and won. It's been finished. It's been completed. And I come as one who needs your spirit, that I may shepherd your people. As one who needs your guidance, who needs to be gathered up in truth and strength, that I may not lord over it, over your ship. That I may not fleece the ship. That I may give your ship their food at the proper time. Your ship their food at the proper time. I thank you, Lord, for all 
whom we have gathered here today, they are all here because you brought them here. There's no one who could come here and be where we are at this time if you had not granted it that they may be here. So, Lord, I pray that you take whatever you can take from what I've shared and seal it to the hearts of your people. And, Lord, take whatever you can take and draw your people to yourself, that they may see you, that they may love you, that they may know you, that they may remove themselves from the work of salvation, that they may see Christ as their only sufficiency. Lord, we thank you for the provision of the day. We thank you for the food that you have set before us in Christ. We thank you for Elder Johnson for coming up here. We pray for all those who came for the graduation. We are going to be traveling today or sometime tomorrow. Those of the household of faith, that you be with them, Mother Ward, Sister Flo. I pray for the Mashinga as a family, for uniting us after such a long time. You have kept them in their wilderness, in our wilderness, by your hands. And you have brought us here by your wisdom, by your doing, by your grace. And as they set out, they do not know what tomorrow has in store for them. Lord, may you get them by your hand. May you keep them from stumbling. May you draw them by your spirit. May you open their hearts to understanding. We ask for healing and strength. For those among us whose bodies are weak. We ask, Lord, that you give them your strength. We ask, Lord, that you, if you are so pleased in yourself, that you heal them. That you may heal them, Lord, for the sake of your name. We pray for our young ones. We pray, Lord, that you may guard them from the, this evil age. From the wiles of the devil. That they may not be taken away by him and become prey for him. May you guard their hearts and minds as they go out into the world. Lord, I honor you for your kind. You've been good to me. You've been good to your people. You have saved us from sin. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.